Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you, so let's get to it. Good morning. Oh, it's a beautiful day. It's an awesome worship today. Thank you guys, Zach and Lacey and McKinley. Really good. Today, I um, just want to welcome you here. It's on a beautiful day called Palm Sunday. Uh, my name is Tim Good. For those of you that don't know me, and for those that do know me, I'm, I'm sorry. But you know me, and that's how it is. We still love you. I <laughs> love you too. Um, it's an honor for me to be up here to do this on this day, um, Palm Sunday, because I don't know. I just, when Blake asked me, he said, you want to preach? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll preach. And then I'm like sitting there and I looked at my wife and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Palm Sunday. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, no. And so kind of scared, you know, to get up here to take on such a challenge. But you know what? We're all family here. So I'm here to take on the challenge. And I know y'all won't laugh at me too hard. I know you got a bunch of pins. I know Corey brought that up about throwing them at me. You don't have to. But anyways, I would like to go into some of the or the text today is going to be over Luke 19, uh, 28 through 40 that Brittany read for us. Um, but first, before I go into that, I want to pray and uh, just ask God to open our hearts and uh, bring the word to you. So, Heavenly Father, we just come to you today on this day of Palm Sunday to uh, ask you to speak through me. Let me be your vessel to bring the word that only you know how to bring. Bring the word to the congregation so they understand and it opens their hearts, Father, to receive you. We thank you for all that you did, especially for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start before I go into the sermon, or to the scripture. Um, give me a little bit of history on Palm Sunday. Um. It's all started, it was, it's been a common thing for way back whenever um, kings were coming into the cities and stuff like that, that they would put palm leaves or branches of whatever tree that they're close to, you know, down in front of the king as he's coming into the city to show reverence or, you know, to welcome him to town. And so this, doing this for Jesus was something that had always been done. It's a kind of a ritual. But it wasn't until around the 4th century that the church got a hold of it and to commemorate about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on his day, the week before his crucifixion, they started calling it Palm Sunday. So we know it now from back then that now it's Palm Sunday. Which growing up, when I was a kid, I lived with a family there in Canadian um, and they were Catholic. And so I ended up going almost converted to Catholicism. Which, you know, I guess it wouldn't have been too bad, but still, I didn't. But anyways, seeing them um, celebrate Palm Sunday and how important it was to them. And then Easter and then, of course, Christmas. But those, those three deals are like the Super Bowl for Catholics. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't understand it at the time because I'm just a kid. You know, it's just a palm deal. We make like crosses or we just fold them up or whatever, throw them away. It wasn't until later in life 
Well, I mean, much later in life because, I mean, I went through my whole life not even really paying attention to Easter, you know, and just doing the whole Easter deal. Um, still believed in God at the time, but I just, you know, wasn't too into it like I am now. Um, but going through the whole time and now coming into this, I'm 51 years old. This is the first time I've actually ever really studied Palm Sunday. And to come into this and learn more about what was going on at the time and to know that Jesus Jesus comes into the city, Jerusalem, and He is coming to be the King, but not the King that they think He should be or want to be. Um, but for Him to come in and full well knowing that within a week these people that are praising Him and the people in the city are going to condemn Him and spit on Him and curse Him. Even His most favored follower, Peter, will deny Him three times before the crow, the rooster crows. So that right there, for Him to come in and still know that all this is going to happen, but He still does it because He knows His what he has to do in order for us to be with him in paradise is just, to me, makes him one of the bravest persons I've ever known in my life. Because I don't know about you, but if I knew that was going to happen, I would just scoot on down the road somewhere else. So anyways, we'll go into this. Um, I'll start reading Luke 19, or starting at 28. When he had said these things, now when they talk about when he had said these things, this is right after he comes off the parable about the three servants where the uh, master leaves and he gives the three servants each a talent, a certain amount of talents. And one of them, you know, two of them basically they, they put them in and they make double back what they did. But the third one squandered and hid it and didn't want to do anything with it, so he didn't make anything. So this is where it's coming off of that. So when he said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, which we all know is pretty significant in the Bible because of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. He's all, it's all kind of together here. He sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there, on which no one has ever sat untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owners said to them, why are you untying the donkey? Then they brought it to Jesus and after throwing the clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. And I'm going to stop right there at 36. And kind of jump back here. So Jesus tells him to go into town and get this donkey. And number one, it's untamed. So that means it's not broke or anything. And if anybody knows about horses or donkeys or anything, you know something that's not broke, you're going to be on the ground pretty quick. So that right there, to me, there's, there's three things that really stands out to me about the donkey and what it's used in the Bible um, the first one is that Jesus rides an untamed donkey, and that shows his power over creation, I think. Just to be able to climb up on an untamed animal like that and just no fuss, no bother, and it just goes down. The second one is how significant is that um, it's a sign of kingdom. 
king, king being a king, um, coming into the city on an animal. Uh, David did it. He had a she mule that he rode. And so did Solomon. He rode an untamed donkey in. So it just it's just showing you that the lineage, I guess, or the you know, that I'm a king. Um, and the third one that is really stands out is it fulfills prophecy. In in uh, Zechariah nine nine, it was prophesied over five hundred years before Jesus was on the scene that he would come into town to Jerusalem. And Zechariah nine nine says, "Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious." Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, Ezekiel, or Zechariah, excuse me, I keep saying Ezekiel. Zechariah lit, was writing this around um, 520 to 518 BC. And so, like, I figured it's roughly 500 years. Just goes to show you that, you know, even though this guy wrote this that the Lord told us in the Old Testament and it came true in the New Testament. It's just another deal showing how the prophecies that were in the Old Testament came true. Whatever God said happened. So you can pretty well take it as religion, I guess you could say, that God says it in the Old Testament and everything in the Old Testament has come true. They've even proved that it's like unbelievable the number of 99.999% proof that it all came true. So what's to say the rest of the Bible is not going to come true? I mean, for real. If God's going to say it, God means it. So we go on and I start back up at 36. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest of heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. So before I go on, I want to go back to the farmer. And I don't know if you realize it, but the farmer, when they take the donkey, he doesn't say anything. Like, he just, to me, it's kind of a, kind of a funny thing. I was just thinking about it. It kind of reminds me of, if anybody's ever seen Star Wars, it's kind of like when Obi-Wan Kenobi and he uses the Jedi trick on him, you know, and he's all like, these are not the droids you're looking for, you know, and they just go on. But, you know, this is not the donkey, you know, this is, we're just going to do it for the Lord. And he just went on. And it's like, you know, if I was to walk out here in your favorite car and I got in it and I'm going to take it. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, well, it's for the Lord. And I just drive off and you don't say nothing. So that's basically what they did. I mean, they just took this donkey. I mean, and back then a donkey was very significant. I mean, they used it for farming. They used it for travel. They used everything. So basically it was their transportation 
And they're just going to take it. And the guy never said anything. So I ask you, where does that look like in your life? For you, does God come into your life and say, hey, this is for the Lord? Like in your finances, tithing or whatever. Um, In your marriage, do you put it for the Lord and just walk away and let the Lord have it? Because I know I have a hard time with it. I mean, we're human. It's human nature. We think we can do it on our own. But in reality, God needs to really do it for us. We're there to help Him, but we're there to listen and do what He asks. Um, And when God says it's for the Lord, you're supposed to just step out there on that branch of faith and let God have it. And if you keep doing that, He'll give you more and more to have, more and more to handle, more and more things to do because He knows He can trust in you. So I just thought it was very profound that the guy didn't say a word. He just was like, okay, you know, take your donkey. And uh, which leads me into my, you know, to asking you how you are with God and how that does that. Um, the same thing with me is back whenever my daughter was like nine years old, she gave her life to the Lord in VBS. I've been pretty much without saying I've been a hellion all the way up till I was 40 38 40 somewhere out in there and when my daughter stepped up there and gave her life to the Lord that's when I decided right then I need to start being a better a better father a better person and give rededicate my life to the Lord and give him um, my life. Have I been perfect? No. There's no way. The perfect one they killed. That's what I always say. Nobody's perfect, but Jesus Jesus was. He came here to show us how to live. We can't live like Jesus. We can, but we can't live up to it. You know, like the, the what they want you to do, the Ten Commandments. You just can't do it. And the Lord knows that. That's why He gave us Jesus. So we can, we can ask for forgiveness. If you fail and you fall, He's just like a parent. He's there to pick you up and carry you on. So I didn't understand that. I'm still struggling today. Even though I'm up here preaching, I don't have it all together. None of us do. But, you know, I love my Lord. I love my church family, my preacher. It's not just my preacher. He is a close confidant friend. And he's also, he also keeps me accountable. And that's what you need to find. You need to find people that will keep you accountable. And vice versa. Because you need that push. Where it says in the Bible, iron sharpens iron. That's exactly what we do. We sharpen each other to keep us on tack with God. And keep us resistant to the devil. Because he is hitting you every angle he can. So I, I go on and I'm thinking about with the stones, he tells them, you know, I, even if I was told them to be quiet and not even be singing, that the stones would cry out. And I'm thinking, man, that's amazing that there's so much power there that even the earth would cry for the Lord. So I, I just, I keep coming back to this, you know, where is it that um, in your life that God 
is in your heart? Where do you let Him come in? Where do you let Him be your leader? Because if you don't let Him lead your life, and you're just going to take it by the horns and do it, yeah, you'll get away with it for a while. And it may look like, man, this guy's got it all together. He's awesome. He does everything. But one day you've got to answer for it. And I don't want to be the one standing at the foot of Jesus Christ and Him looking down at me saying, why didn't you teach your kids about me? Why didn't you lead them to me? Because that'll be a failure that I can't. That, to me, that's unthinkable. So if you have children, lead them to the Lord. Do the best you can. I'm not saying they're going to walk out of your house and be holy bangers and you know be on the Bible every day of the week. They're not. They're going to... They're going to go through life just like we have. They're going to fail just like we have. But we're just supposed to be like Christ and pick them up and show them how to get back on their feet and love them. We all make mistakes. We've all been there. But love them just like Jesus loved us and God loved us so much that he gave his son for us, that he died on the cross for us. The retribution and everything that he went through for us. Think about that. When I think about it, I can't even fathom in my head that the whole world from the time that it started until it ends, which we don't even know when it's going to end, but from there to there, he took everything on his shoulders. Now, I don't know about you. I've got a hard enough life of my own, let alone trying to take the whole world on my shoulders. So I don't even want to attempt that. But this man was one strong individual. And like I said, one of the bravest men I think I've ever read about. Take 20. I'll ask you right now to just take about 20 seconds and think about where your journey is with God. And... um, Does he have control of your life? Or do you use God as a vending machine and you pick what you want him to do and then you do the rest? Because we can't do that. We can't pick and choose. Because inevitably in the end, we're all going to stand at that altar and we're all going to answer to what we've done. You don't need to do it for anybody else but yourself. This is where I ask you to be very selfish with yourself and the Lord. I'm not saying don't spread the Lord and don't don't reach out and show him what Jesus does for you or what he's done for you. But this is the time that you need to be singled out with you and Jesus Christ and get that one-on-one personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what he asked for. So just bow your heads before we pray and, and think about that. Father God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey uh, what your spirit has spoken to us today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, Tim, for that message. Give Tim a hand, everybody. Tim said two things that have never been said from this pulpit and uh, two things that I'll probably never say. He said for reals. 
don't know if you guys caught that. And I think he called us holy bangers. I'm not sure what that is, but I think it's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, really, he did a great job. You don't realize how hard this is until you get up here and do it. That's why I take a break every once in a while and let somebody else do it. Uh, one thing they always say to me is, I never realized how quiet it was until I got up there to speak. Uh, and everybody's staring at you. And so uh, he, he really did a great job. I, uh, I love this text. Yes, amen. Uh, tell Tim good job as he leaves. Shake his hand. But I really love this text uh, in the King James Version, the old King James Version. When I was a kid, I liked it because it said a cuss word. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the old name for a donkey, I won't say it because you might not want your kids to say it. Uh, but I, I discovered that at, at a like an Awana's deal at church when I was a kid, and, and I went home, and my mom didn't think it was funny. Uh, and I was like, it's the Bible, you know. Uh, but as I grew older, I, I like the language it uses when it talks about uh, when they come to do Grand Theft Donkey and take the donkey away. Uh, in our in the CSB, it says the Lord has need of it. In the Old King James, it says uh, the Master hath need of it. The Master hath need of it. And uh, this is what Jesus does in our life. He, he will do this to you. Uh, and I, this text is so interesting because of the contrast between the crowds and the donkey owner. Uh, the crowds right now are cheering for Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, they're, they're pumped up as he comes into Jerusalem. And yet they will be nowhere to be found in less than a week when he's on the cross. And the crowds are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And the reason for this is because they love Jesus when he rides in to save them. <laughs> You know, they're thinking Jesus is going to come and take out the Romans and their oppression is about the end. And yes, Jesus, be for me. But when Jesus comes and he doesn't do what he thinks they're going to do, they don't really care for him near as much. And yet we're to be like the donkey owner and say, Jesus, whatever you do is what you do. And I respond to that, not the other way around. Whatever you have need of, Lord, I give it to you. And the two areas where I think I see this most in people's lives is Uh, And and really, I can illustrate it for you probably best is with your money and with your children. Do do you want God to help your money and your children? Or are you saying these things are for you, Lord? You know, it's it's easy for me to say, God, bless me. And when I say bless me financially, what I mean is more money. But, But what if God, what if Jesus says the blessing is going to be you giving all of your retirement away to help this thing? Now, I'm not saying he's doing that. I'm not saying that you're giving your money away. But I'm saying if he asked you to do that, would you see that as much of a blessing as if he were to give you an extra million dollars? Or with your children. You know, I hear people pray for their children all the time. And the prayers that generally come are prayers of safety. These are not bad prayers to pray. Lord, protect my kids. Lord, give my kids good jobs. Lord, help my kids in life. But what if we raise them to be Christians and the Holy Spirit calls them to a country that's never heard the name of Jesus and they might give their life for the gospel? Are you mamas and daddies willing to send your kids across the country, across the world for that? Are you willing to be like the donkey owner and say, Lord, whatever you have need of, I give to you? Or are you like the crowds? When Jesus is for you, you're shouting, yes, save me. And when he's against you, you're shouting, crucify him. I think that's something we all need to reflect upon. And this is not a message of condemnation. Please don't hear it that way. Because right after this, Jesus literally weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And he's weeping. Because he said, God visited you and you didn't recognize it. See, the reason why we need to make Jesus the king in our lives is not because he has a big ego and just, you know, wants us to give everything to him. Although he could say that he's worthy of it. The rocks will cry out if we don't worship him. He doesn't need us to worship him. But the reason Jesus wants us to is because you and I are bad kings and queens of our own lives. You only have to live a little bit to know that. How many good ideas did you have that turned out to lead to destruction in your life? 
You know that person you dated and everybody told you not to date and you did it anyways and then you're like, man, I'm a dummy. <laughs> you know, everybody's got stories like that in their lives. Why? Because we're not that good at being kings and queens in our lives. That's a funny example, but there's quite destructive examples of that. Jesus says, turn your life over to me because I'm the good king. I'm the one who can lead you to paths of righteousness, to life, to the abundant life, life to the full, life overflowing and eternal life that does not just end in this life. He's the only king I know of who comes to lay down his life for his people. And not just his people, but his enemies. You know, what king in this world would die for his people? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a president, a prime minister, or any other politician that would die for us. They put us on the front lines long before they'll go there. Even our favorite ones. But what about a king or a president or a prime minister that would die for his enemies? There's no one like this king that we have in Jesus, friends. And so as we leave here today, I want to ask you, which are you? Are you the crowd shouting crucify him? Or are you the owner of the donkey saying, Lord, whatever you have, you can have it. I don't understand it. It hurts. I wish it wasn't this way. But I trust you because of who you are. Zach, if you guys want to go ahead and come up, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing and we're going to praise this king. Father, I thank you for the message that Tim has given us today. And Lord, most of all, I thank you for who you are. God, you don't need our worship. You don't need our service. If we don't worship you, the rocks themselves will cry out. But Lord, you want our worship. Because our worship is for our own good. Lord, in you we find life that is everlasting. In worshiping and in serving you, Lord, we find that which we were designed for. That which we were created for. And so today, God, I pray for those in this place who are struggling with whether or not you are the king of their lives. And I pray that we would not look back on this day with tears as we say, God showed up yet again and they ignored him once more. I pray that this would be a day where things change, like the day in which Tim saw his daughter get baptized and he realized that you were to be the supreme thing in his life. I pray that that would happen for somebody today. They would quit halfway doing things and they would go all in on you no matter the cost. Not because they understand everything, but because they know how good you are. Jesus, we love you and we praise you on this day. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.